Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome back to the channel for another episode of Open Mic, the show where the mic is open, the floor is yours. What do you guys want to chat and talk about? That is what we are here to chat and talk about today. It's a kind of a more laid back, casual version of the John Campion Show. And we're so glad that you're joining us here. Now, listen, if you've got a topic or question that you'd like to have read on Open Mic, there's two different ways you can get one on. One, use our tip link anytime 24 hours a day that you want to send in a question. You can go to our tip link at simply streamelements.com slash John Campia slash tip. And you can send in a tip that way. Or if you are watching live right now, and only if you're watching live, you can use the super chat feature in the live chat. And as long as your questions or comments are appropriate to be used on our show, we will address them here on the show. And hello to everybody. Uh, in the live chat there. Good to have you guys here. Start off a, a little bit late, uh, only about 10 minutes late. Had a problem, had a weird problem. My camera wouldn't work. This camera right here wouldn't work, but uh, I did some fiddling around and I got it up and running again. Mm. But if the camera suddenly stops working halfway through the show, uh, you know probably what would happen. And uh, yeah, hot damn, Madam Webb is now 16% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to go see it tomorrow. I'm going to go see it tomorrow, heaven help us all, and go see just how bad uh, this thing actually is, uh, uh, but but we will see, which is a good segue into a little discussion I want to have right now before we get into the questions, which is, does, does Craven the Hunter have any hope? Is, is Craven the Hunter already doomed. Now, I, I we, we talked about this on the show, uh, the John Campus show earlier today. I have been optimistic about Craven the Hunter, right? I, uh, first of all, JC Chandor is directing it and he directed this little film a bunch of years ago, <clears throat> pardon me, called Margin Call. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw Margin Call or whatever, but Margin Call was is kind of like this little, you know, uh, connected to the financial collapse and all that kind of stuff. It is a great little movie and a great cast, and he's really good. I, I mean, I, I really like him. It stars Aaron Taylor Johnson, who, of course, kick-ass Quicksilver was just in Bullet Train, loved him in Bullet Train, Right. Uh, Ariana DeBois, Academy Award winner Ariana DeBois, who was just in that space, the International Space Station movie, ISS. She was really good in that. You've got one of my all-time favorite actors in Russell Crowe in this movie. I mean, so I'm always thrilled to see Russell Crowe. So you got a really cool character. You got a great cast. You have a solid director. And... I have chosen to be optimistic, hopeful, believing the best, trusting in the better angels for Craven the Hunter. <clears throat> but with everything going on with Madam Web, it's it really makes me um concerned. Uh, by the way, I just want to point out this one chat that uh, 
Mr. I put in there. I said, a friend of mine and I were talking about bad comic book movies. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen came up. It sits at 17% Rotten Tomatoes to quote Harloff. Uh, yeah. So, um, uh, we worked on that movie. <laughs> League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, a long time ago, I used to work with a visual effects company called Satellite Studios. And we actually did uh, some work on a, a number of major motion picture films, including, uh, but not limited to, a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. There's a scene in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen where the invisible man is on fire. And there's a sequence there. We did the visual effects in that sequence for League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah, but it seems like other than Sin City, Sin City was another movie we worked on. It feels like every motion picture we worked on was a terrible motion picture. I don't know why that is. But I got a, a bunch of movies that, that we worked on, and it seems like all of them were really, really bad movies. No fault of our own. We did great visual effects. But <clears throat> is what it is. Anyway, so Craven the Hunter. You know, the problem with Craven the Hunter is not that Madam Web was bad and that Morbius was bad, right? Studios can studios make bad the best studios make bad movies. It happens. Making a good movie is really really difficult. It's really tricky. It's a hard thing to do. But what has been concerning to me and we talked about this for those of you who watched the John Campion show earlier today. We talked about this earlier was that it just simply looked like um, Sony didn't even try. <clears throat> it looked like they had no interest in even trying to make that good. Because they started off the movie by going, oh, okay, so who do we get to direct or who do we get to uh, produce or write this? You know, the building blocks of a movie. Who do we get to write this? Well, you know, the guys who wrote Morbius for us are hanging around. Oh, those are the same guys who wrote Dracula Untold, right? Yes, as a matter of fact, it is. And, and they're also the same guys who wrote Gods of Egypt, right? Yes, as a matter of fact, it is. They literally started off their process saying, as Cajun is pointing out, Sony basically screamed at us that they didn't care whether this movie was any good or not. They didn't care. Because there's no way that you're going to convince me <coughs> that a studio that is committed to trying to make a movie as best as it can be. Because remember, you can make a bad movie but still have really tried, right? But there's no way to tell me that a studio was really fully committed to making the best movie they could, starting off by hiring the writers of Morbius, Gods of Egypt, Dracula Untold, and Vin Diesel's all-time classic, The Last Witch Hunter. Like, <clears throat> I don't mean to speak in hyperbole, and I don't, it's not my intention to be mean because I'm sure, you know, Matt Sazma and his, his writing partner are really nice guys and I'm sure they work really hard and all that kind of stuff. But when you are the writers of Dracula Untold and The Last Witch Hunter and The Gods of Egypt and Morbius, I feel safe in saying this. You are the worst screenwriters working in Hollywood right now. There might be worse writers who aren't getting work, 
But out of all the writers in Hollywood that are getting work, I, I would challenge anybody to point me to somebody else who we would say are worse than these guys. Like, I, I think they might be the worst writers getting work in Hollywood. They're better than me, but I'm not the standard, am I? I'm not writing a big budget Hollywood motion pictures, am I? So the, it comes back then to, to, to this again. So they completely crapped the bed with Morbius. They completely showed that they didn't even care about making a good movie with Madam Webb. So it brings us back to Craven the Hunter. And with Aaron Taylor Johnson lead, who looks great, by the way, I don't care what anybody else says, Aaron Taylor Johnson looks great in the role. <clears throat> uh, Ariana DeBois is always money. I love Russell Crowe, Academy Award winner. I think he's great. But it, it leaves me wondering, why should I believe, why should you believe that there's any chance of Craven the Hunter being good? Not because Sony made a couple of bad movies, but because they made a couple of bad movies that it was clear they weren't even trying to make a good movie. And there's a big difference, right? I'm not questioning whether Craven the Hunter is already doomed because Sony's made a couple of bad movies. Everybody makes bad movies from now and again. I'm questioning whether Craven the Hunter is doomed because Sony clearly didn't even try to make decent films with their last couple of Spider-Man-less Spider-Verse movies. They haven't even tried. Now, you could make the argument to me by saying, and, and this would be legitimate, you could make the argument to me by saying, but John, you pointed out, they went out and got more, and more so they've got a couple of Academy Award winners in this, okay? They went out and got a, I'm not going to say one of the great directors, but they went out and got a solid director in J.C. Chandor. Yes, they did. So maybe that's a, <clears throat> maybe that should be considered a sign that they are indeed putting more effort into Craven the Hunter than they did in Madam Web. And maybe I'm open to that consideration. I'm open to considering that. Now that Captain Winnie says Sony needs a Spider-Man. No, they don't. Listen to me, guys. I, I've had so many people writing to me. You know what? They really, they need to bring Spider-Man into it. That's nonsense. Because the problem isn't that Spider-Man isn't there. Do you think that if Spider-Man just, you know, you're halfway through this garbage Madam Web movie, if Spider-Man just swung in in the middle, that that would make the movie better? That the dialogue would suddenly get better? That the story would suddenly get better? That the pacing and the flow and editing and all that would just get better because the character Spider-Man swings in? Spider-Man coming into the Sony movies won't help one drip of urine. Not one precious drip of urine would it help unless you're writing good scripts, unless you're creating compelling characters, unless you're putting effort into making a good movie. If Sony's going to put in the same effort that they put into Madam Web, then it doesn't matter if Spider-Man's in the next movie. It won't make a lick of difference. It's just going to be a bad movie with Spider-Man. The Fantastic Four movies had one of the greatest comic book villains in history, Doctor Doom, in all of them. Did that help the Fantastic Four movies? Not a bit. <coughs> Not a bit. And as I remind, reminded everybody this morning on the John Campia show when we were talking about it, uh, 
I haven't seen Madam Web yet. But I don't need to have seen Madam Web to know that Sony for weeks has been telling us that they didn't think the movie was very good. Sony has shown no faith in this movie. None. They started by hiring the worst writers they could. They couldn't even be bothered to make a second trailer for the movie. They held the review embargo until the day before the movie came out. Sony has been screaming at us for weeks and months that, hey, our movie sucks. We just didn't want to listen. So it's no surprise that when the first reactions came out from the premiere, they were all garbage. And it's no surprise that when the reviews got lifted this morning, it was at 17%. Now it's at 16%. See, again, I, I, I don't get worked up over the fact that Madam Web is a bad movie because I haven't seen it and everybody makes bad movies. I get worked up because Sony showed that they didn't even give a crap about it and couldn't be bothered to put in effort. And so it's inevitable that we then look at Craven the Hunter and go, okay, why should we have belief in this? I've been optimistic. You guys know, you can testify that I for months have been choosing to be optimistic about Craven the Hunter, right? I'm like, I'm looking forward to it. I want to see it. But <coughs> Pardon me, guys. But Sony is simply giving me no reason to. And as I always say, hey, studios, if you don't believe in your movies, why should I? And I think that's where we're kind of at right now, right? That's where we're kind of at. I don't know firsthand that Madam Web is bad. All I know is that Sony has been acting like it's bad Sony has acted like they have no faith in the movie and Sony has acted like they didn't put any effort into the film at all. That I know for a fact. And I also now know that everybody else who is seeing it is saying it's total garbage. So I'm going to go still see it for myself tomorrow. I'm going to see it for myself tomorrow. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. And I don't have a lot of hope. All right, guys. Listen, with that, I'm sure you guys have some thoughts, theories, and opinions and observations about this. We'll get to those in a bit. Again, the super, oh my gosh, there's more super chats than I thought. Um, I'm going to leave the super chats open for for another 10, 15 minutes. So if you've got a thought, theory, opinion, go ahead and throw it in, but I'll, I'll let you know when I'm about to turn them off. All right. Let's get over to the tip link questions that you guys have sent in. We're going to start things off here with Simon Miller, who writes, Um, did you watch the WrestleMania press slash media event yet? No, I have not. Uh, Talk about a wild ending. People can't decide if the whole thing was a work from the beginning uh, or did they pivot? Okay. I haven't seen it myself. All right. And for those of you wondering, I always got to do this. You know, I've I've had a cough for a couple of months now. I'm going to probably have it for another month, they say. And uh, I have to have halls. I have to be using halls or else I start choking and coughing a lot. So forgive me that I've got this candy thing in my mouth. Anyway, (coughs) so I did not see the press conference yet. But I was uh, in a group of people talking about it, and from what I am hearing, it was a work the whole time. From what I'm hearing, it was a work the whole time. Um. So, so I'm not surprised to hear you say that, Simon. So yeah, that's, I, I, they did not pivot. It was a work the whole time, which if it was indeed a work the whole time, 
Uh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant because look, if you go back to um, the old W, the old Attitude Era days for WWE, right? Vince McMahon, whose name is Poison right now, but this is history. So let's go back to the Attitude Area, 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 Era. Vince McMahon knew that no heel in wrestling will get the biggest heat than the boss, right? Or the company. There is no more relatable villain that people can relate to as a villain than your boss, than the company. And so back in the Attitude Era, Vince McMahon and Stone Cold Steve Austin brilliantly positioned themselves as the heel, as the bad guy to Steve Austin's hero. And it made for some of the most memorable and successful WWE programming they've ever done. <clears throat> Who will ever forget Stone Cold Steve Austin sneaking into Vince McMahon's hospital room and then beating him over the head with a metal pee pan, right? I mean, it was, it was just huge. And what most insiders right now are believing is that they leveraged that again. They set this whole thing up to make themselves the bad guy and then apparently do a pivot back to that. Look, and if that's what they did, it was brilliant. If that's what they did, oh yeah, King Daddy Goat. I remember that one, the beer truck. Yeah, it was Vince McMahon and his cronies were in the ring and Stone Cold Steve Austin literally backed a truck down a bit with a big vat of beer and used a hose and beard beer hosed people down in the ring. It was absolutely crazy. Um, so yeah, a lot of the insiders now are saying this is exactly what they did. They pivoted themselves to being the villain to set, to get everybody all fired up and then pull this thing where it's Cody and what at, Look, I don't know if that's what they did, but that's what a bunch of the insiders are saying they did. And if they did, it was, it's brilliant. It was brilliant because it's got every, got, got everybody talking about WrestleMania, right? So, ah, we'll see. All right. Thanks, Simon. Next up, uh, Twilight Boy writes, something I really liked in the new Suicide Squad game is the presentation of Metropolis. It got me thinking how I hope Superman Legacy can make it feel like a character like the Batman did for Gotham. I want to see a city of tomorrow like in the game. Um, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I haven't played Suicide Squad, the new Suicide Squad game or Suicide Squad Kills the Justice League. Haven't played it. Don't really plan on playing it. Um, I haven't read the best reviews for it. Like that, not that the game's really bad, but it's just I haven't read the best reviews for it. So I'm probably not going to try it myself. Although, man, when they first kind of, I think it was at Comic-Con that they first announced the game. Am I wrong about that? I feel like it was Comic-Con like two years ago that they announced the game and everybody got really excited about it. But uh, from what I'm hearing, it didn't really execute well, but I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And you're right. Gotham really did become a living, breathing character in that Batman movie. All right. Next up, BK Dan writes, uh, John, I know you don't go to Comic-Con often anymore. Uh, we usually still stick our noses in there for a day or something. Uh, but I think you'll reconsider Wizards of the Coast D&D &D is going to be there this year. Eh. 
here's the thing. My wife literally worked with Wizards of the Coast. Got to remember when my wife was like a bigwig over at Hasbro, Hasbro owned Wizards of the Coast. And my wife would often be like the liaison between Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro. My wife actually played in the official Wizards of the Coast Dungeons and Dragons game. Like some of the key staff there had an ongoing game of D&D and my wife was a part of that game. Um, so she's worked a lot um, with the folks over at Wizards of the Coast and stuff like that. So, I mean, I'm Ann and I may, may still... Um, go and stick our noses in for a day at Comic-Con, but it won't be because Wizards of the Coast is there, just because we've had a lot of interaction with Wizards of the Coast. All right, thanks, the Boy. Next up, or sorry, that was BK Dan. Next up, BK Dan also says, John, uh, regarding the Talaro van, I'm not going to lie, it looks too familiar to one of the shuttles from the V miniseries where Mark Singer and a young Robert Englund uh, before he became Freddy from 83. Dude, that miniseries freaked me the hell out when I was a kid. Michael Ironside was in that too. Because the first time that the visitors took off their skin and you saw that they were lizard people, and the first time you got the glimpses when one of the visitors grabbed a mouse and when nobody was looking, they ate the mouse. It's like, ah, like that thing freaked me the hell out. And you're right. The van does look a little bit like one of the V's uh, shuttles. All right. Full Boyle writes, hey, John. Like you, I also love Man of Steel, but it felt a little strange that Zod and his soldiers couldn't easily defeat Superman. Well, that's because they hadn't been absorbing the yellow sun for nearly as long as uh, Kal-El had. Anyway, Superman wasn't trained to fight, right? Correct. He was a farm boy. Uh, it felt like a Dom beating Hobbs in Fast Five. Am I missing something? All hail Cavill. Yeah, the main thing we're missing is that Superman had been on Earth a lot longer. You remember, it wasn't until about halfway through his fight with Zod that Zod's senses really started kicking in. Because you remember, Clark was a boy. He always had powers, but it was at a certain point when he was a young boy, they did that scene where all of his senses started overloading and he ran away into the closet because that's when everything really started to kick in. Well, I don't know if it's because Zod was already physically older or whatever, but about halfway through his fight with Zod, Zod then crossed that plateau where he started having that sensory overload too, right? Like his cells were now really starting to super absorb the sun and his power level got closer and closer and closer. Like the whole reason Clark didn't just wipe them out instantly is because they had been on earth for a little bit. They've started to absorb the radiation, of the yellow sun. They had been growing in their power because you're right. Those Kryptonians were lifelong soldiers, they are trained in combat and to fight. Superman's a farm boy who just really figured out who he was. And, and so that's the only reason Clark didn't like, like completely wipe out Zod when he first showed up. But the longer Zod, every minute Zod was on Earth, his power was getting closer and closer and closer to Clark's. I think that's also part of the reason Clark knew he wouldn't be able to hold Zod off much longer and snapped his neck. So, um, I, I think, uh, that's why that's the main reason why, uh, Clark had been on earth a lot longer. So his, his power level is a little bit higher. All right. Uh, next up we go to, where are we at? We're at uh, chip crisper. 
who writes, Hey, John, are we seeing two sets of TVA agents in Deadpool and Wolverine? I don't think so. Uh, in the trailer, we see the TVA about to prune Wade, and then the TVA agent saves him through the door to recruit him. We also see Deadpool fight and kill many TVA agents. No one's talking about this. Bring on the filthy. Well, I think because there's two different possibilities here. When I, I'm just going to tell you what my first impression was watching the trailer. I don't think that was somebody saving Wade from the TVA agents. I think they were all, I think all those TVA agents were on the same side. I don't think they were about to kill Wade. I think they were going to take him down if they needed to, but I think they were bringing him in. But then why do we see Wade later in the trailer fighting TVA agents? Right? Because I, there could be a couple of different um, valid theories here. In many, 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 many movies, we see a good guy working with the cops, but then the good guy gets framed for something and now he's got to fight the cops to get out of it, right? Something as simple as that. I mean, we've seen that in a million TV shows and movies, right? So that could be happening there. It could be that the TVA comes under somebody else's control and starts sending people after Deadpool, even though he had been working with them up to that point. There's a lot of different possibilities there, narratively. So it's going to be interesting to see if the trailer gives us any more indication as we move on. All right. Next up, we've got Mike McHale writes, Hey, John, I took my four-year-old autistic son to see uh, Turning Red. Oh, that's nice. At a sensory screening in, in theater on Saturday. They had the lights up and the volume lowered for any kids with sensory issues. That's really smart. Uh, he loved it. I recommend it to any parents with special needs kids. You know, I love it because movie theaters, they're there 24 hours a day. They're not open 24 hours a day, but they're there 24 hours a day. And I love the fact that a lot of theaters will try to do things to be more accessible. Uh, like, I love the fact that they do screenings for parents. You know, where you understand that, hey, if you're going to this screening, it's going to be one for parents of kids and babies, and you don't have to feel weird about being in the audience with your baby who might start crying because everybody else there is in the same boat. I love that they have screenings for hearing impaired. I love that they have screenings like this one for you and your family. I think that's great when they do that. I don't know if it's particularly profitable for them, but they're there. The theater's open during two o'clock in the afternoon. Why not? I really love that they do that. I'm, I love the fact that you were able to take advantage and have a good time with that, Mike. Thanks for sharing that, man. All right. Uh, next up, TAC5 writes, uh, Nickelodeon uh, co-broadcast the Super Bowl on Sunday with SpongeBob. Yes, they did. Uh, iconography augmented on the field. SpongeBob and Patrick Assistant commentated uh, the game with the Nick announcers. Team Sonic, Dora, and others made cameras as well. Weird idea, but it worked. They've been doing that for a couple of years. Um, they've been doing this even during... Uh, Ann and I were at a Los Angeles Rams football game that Nickelodeon was doing a co-broadcast of. And they gave us out these green slime helmets. Any of you who follow me on social media, I put up some pictures of this. This was like a year and a half ago, I guess. Um, but it's not, a, I mean, I tried watching it once for like five minutes and I couldn't handle it. But for kids who are fans of that and you're trying to get kids into football and stuff like that, it's actually a pretty fun idea. It's not a bad idea to do that. So it was kind of interesting that they made that took that approach. All right. Next up, we got um, Just J. Newby writes, 
That Secret Wars issue in the Deadpool trailer features Doctor Doom on the cover. Yes, that particular issue of Secret Wars does have Doctor Doom on the cover. That doesn't necessarily mean anything, though. Um, so there's our first time seeing Doom in the MCU. Also, I really hope Deadpool mentions the fact that Captain looks a lot like the Human Torch from the Fox universe. There's a joke there that they should really take advantage of. I mean, it's okay if they don't, right? Like, it's not odd if they don't have Cap or if they don't have Deadpool make a joke about Cap looking a lot like Johnny Storm, because from, from what we know in the Deadpool movies, Deadpool never met the Fantastic Four, right? He never met Johnny Storm. So they could make the joke and say, well, they were in the same world, so maybe he saw him on TV or something, but it's okay if they don't as well. But I am with you just, Jay. I will secretly be hoping that they do make that joke. All right, guys, listen. We're going to take a quick second here and thank a couple of sponsors of today's episode, our friends at Mint and Fume. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, Mint Mobile. On average, it takes about 30 days for a person to break their New Year's resolution. So if saving money was on your 2024 list, your odds aren't looking that great. Luckily, I have a 100% guaranteed way to save you money this year. Just switch to Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. I've told you guys many times that after switching to Mint Mobile, I am spending less than a third on my cell bill than I used to with a major carrier. Say goodbye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. All Mint plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And don't worry about having to change phones or numbers. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. So guys, to get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash that's mintmobile.com slash campia. Cut your wireless bills to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Fume. Have you ever tried to break a bad habit and it felt like you're climbing uphill? Yeah, we've been there too. But here's a breath of fresh air. Fume. It's not about giving up, it's about switching up. Fume takes your habit and simply makes it better, healthier, and a whole lot more enjoyable. Fume is an innovative, award-winning flavored air device that does just that. Instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. Instead of electronics, Fume is completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses delicious flavors. You get it, instead of bad Bad fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and make replacing your bad habit easy. Your fume comes with an adjustable airflow dial and is designed with movable parts and magnets for fidgeting, giving your fingers a lot to do, which is helpful for de-stressing and anxiety while breaking your habit. I'll be honest with you guys, I was a little uncertain about it until my package arrived and I tried it. I couldn't believe how perfectly balanced it is, how fun it is to have in your hands, and how great the actual flavor was. Plus, fume just released a magnetic stand for your fume, so there's no more or losing it around the house. So start the year off right with the good habit by going to tryfume.com slash campia and getting the journey packed today. Fume is giving listeners of the show 10% off when they use my code campia to help make starting the good habit that much easier. And thank you to our friends at Mint Mobile and Fume for sponsoring today's episode. All right, guys, let's get back over to your questions here, shall we? We're going to pick things up here with Cody's neck tattoo who writes, it looks like the only Xbox games going to multi-platform will be Hi-Fi Rush, uh, 
Pentiment and Sea of Thieves to PS5 and Switch. Not Starfield or Indiana Jones. Oh, that's a shame. Also, the Ornithopter from Dune was released as a free DLC for MS Flight Simulator today. That's funny. To put the little thing in from Dune in Flight Navy, that's that's pretty cool. I like that. That's pretty fun. Again, I really wish they put the Indiana Jones thing on PS5 so I have a chance to play it, but uh, I guess I won't get a chance to play it. That's all right. All right, next up. Uh, BK Dan writes, John, with the trailer views in the first 24 hours and a lack of Marvel this year and how awesome the trailer looks, in my opinion, Deadpool 3 makes 1.3-ish billion. Love to hear your thoughts. Bring on the filthy. I mean, one point. 3 billion would represent almost double of what the other Deadpool movies made, right? Because remember the other Deadpool movies combined, I think made like 1.5. They both made 700 plus million dollars, right? So if Deadpool three were to make 1.3 billion, that would represent almost doubling what the other ones did. That might be a little much. Remember the difference between 1 billion and 1.3, it sounds like this is not a big difference. It's a huge, it's a $300 million difference. Um, and listen, I'll tell you what, I do not understand, all due respect to my fellow film fan, iciness, I don't understand people saying they still doubt it makes a billion. Do you see how ravenous people are for this? The Deadpool trailer we talked about this morning just broke the all-time record for the most trailer views ever in history. Right, More trailer views than Endgame trailer, more trailer views than the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer, more trailers than the Infinity, more trailer views than the Infinity War views. I mean, people were going nuts. They're like they, as soon as people heard Deadpool trailer, they flooded. He's in the MCU now. It's been a few years since we had him and Hugh Jackman is joining him as Wolverine. I, I do, look, if the movie's not good, it doesn't make a billion dollars. I agree. If the movie's not good. But if if we all agree that it's it's a it's not a stretch to assume that the movie will at least be good, right? Taking it from the other two Deadpool movies. It's not a stretch to make an assumption that it's going to be good. It might not end up being good, it might be bad, but I think it's safe to go to operate at least for now on the assumption it's going to be pretty good. I need somebody to make a case for me to tell me why they don't think. Because the other ones without Hugh Jackman in the Fox universe at that time, as R-rated films, still just about hit $800 million. And you don't think, now that we've had to wait this many years, Ryan Reynolds is just a bigger star now than he was when they made the Deadpool movies. It's coming into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds are together in it. And you don't think it's going to get 200 more million dollars based on that? I need somebody to explain to me in X's and O's why they don't think this makes a billion dollars. I, I, I just I, I just don't understand the logic. If again, if the movie's good, because if the movie's bad, all bets are off. Right? All bets are off if the movie's bad. But <clears throat> You got people who've been going crazy. And now if you need another piece of evidence, the trailer drops and more people, this trailer has generated more excitement than any other trailer in history. 
Again, let me repeat, more people flooded to go watch the Deadpool trailer than went to watch the Infinity War trailer, than went to watch the Endgame trailer, or went to go watch the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer. Now, I, I don't personally agree with Matthew that this movie will make $2 billion. I, I, don't, I don't think this movie makes $2 billion. But hey, those other movies, Endgame, that movie made over $2 billion and more people rushed to go watch the Deadpool trailer than went to watch the Endgame trailer. Spider-Man No Way Home made almost $2 billion and more people rushed to go watch the Deadpool trailer than went to watch the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer. Again, I think $2 billion is a stretch, personally. I think $1.5 is a stretch, but I feel very safe that it'll hit... Um, that it'll hit. But um, do people not listen? People, you know what? Sometimes people wonder, because in my communication style, I will repeat, I will repeat important things several times because it's it's a communication tool I use a lot. People then wonder why I do that. Uh, Orphan and Min is saying both Deadpool movies saved 100 million. Why would a throw make a billion? Were you not just listening to me? Did I not just cover this? But let me let me let me do this for a second. <laughs> uh, Deadpool box office. So first of all, the first Deadpool did not make seven hundred million. It made seven hundred and eighty-two million. So it made closer to eight hundred million. And really, the second one was very close to that was. So basically, they both of these movies came a lot closer to eight hundred million than seven hundred million. So again, you're telling me that movies that weren't even in the MCU both just about got to $800 million. And you don't think that Ryan Reynolds being a bigger star today than he was then, that Deadpool now being brought into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that we've had a long wait for this movie, the fact that we have Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds teaming up and the fact that we now just saw that more people rushed to see the Deadpool trailer than any other trailer in history. And you don't think that equals 200 more million dollars? Okay. Okay. <laughs> if you don't think all of that stuff added up um, equals 200 more million dollars, I, I don't know what to tell you. If that's what you think, that's what you think. And you're totally entitled to that. And sure. And if the movie's bad, it definitely won't make a billion dollars. But I, you're going to have to explain to me how it doesn't hit a billion. You, you got to tell me, aside from the possibility of the movie being bad, which of course I acknowledge will keep it from making a billion dollars. hundred percent. I agree with you, but you got to explain to me how it doesn't. You just got to explain to me how it doesn't make a billion with all those factors and the fact that we, you just saw proof of how excited people are for Deadpool three with the, with it breaking the trailer records. You just saw proof and you don't think that's going to equal 200 more million to get to that billion mark. All right. You think what you think. Um, and you're entitled to it, and your opinion is no less valid than mine. 
Uh, but I'm just going to say, if, if you don't believe that that stuff is going to equal 200 more million, I don't know what to say to you. I mean, I, I, the Ryan Reynolds factor, the Hugh Jackman factor, the MCU factor, the evidence of the trailer excitement. And you don't think that equals 200 million, 200 million. All right. I, I, I guess we'll see. But again, I think we can all agree, right? I think you and I will agree that if the movie is poor, then it doesn't get to a billion. You and I will be in agreement on that. We, we will shake hands and agree on that, that we both don't think it'll get to a billion if the movie's bad. So there's that. All right. Uh, let's see here. Where'd we leave off? Um, yes, yeah, that was BK. Next up, uh, Random writes, Masters of the Air on Apple TV Plus is really disappointing so far, especially coming off uh, the a great Monarch series. Characters are generic and uninteresting, and the story is so unfocused. The action is somewhat good, but the effects are very poor for a lot of it. You know what's funny? <clears throat> I wasn't super excited for Masters of the Air. I, I honestly didn't think the trailers looked all that great. But a lot of people I know, man, were super psyched for that show. Especially since it's like the spiritual descendant of like Band of Brothers and stuff like that, right? I, I didn't see, but whatever. A lot of people were really, really excited about it. And Apple TV has been crushing it. But you're not the first person, Random, to tell me that they, they aren't loving Masters of the Air. I, I know a few people who are still enjoying it. Uh, and I haven't started watching it yet myself. But, um, yeah, I, I've talked to a few people that, that have not been loving that show, which is really weird. By the way, can I go off on a tangent for a second? Let me see if I can find this on. Okay. Yeah. Let me see if I can find this. Cause this is great. So last night, Ann and I <clears throat> were getting ready. We're, you know, we're at that point in the evening where we're going to go to bed soon, but we're going to watch another 15, 20 minutes of television. You know what I'm talking about, right? You, you guys hit that point in the evening, right? We all do. We hit that point in the evening. So <clears throat> I jump onto HBO Max and I go, oh yeah, I forgot they've got an HGTV section. I, we just jump in there. How did I not know this show existed? How did I not know that? Do you, any of you guys know what show I'm about to say? a show that's on HGTV on Max and Ann and I saw this and I thought it was a joke. It looked like it would be a Saturday night live sketch. Like a show that would be a Saturday night live sketch, but it's a real show. Do any of you guys in the live chat have any guess as to the show I'm about to, I'm about to mention? Nope. It's not break time. Stavros. Is that one of the shows there? Anybody else have any guesses what show on HGTV I'm about to mention? No more guesses? All right. We're just saying, nope, no more guesses. Okay, here it is. Lil John wants to do what? You know Lil John, right? Turn down for what? Yeah. Lil John. Lil John has his own home renovation show. Tell me that this does not look like it's a Saturday Night Live sketch. Like, Little John is the musical guest on Saturday Night Live, so they do a sketch of, what if Little John had his own home renovation show? 
and it's, and Ann and I see this on the screen and we're like, we, we have to watch this, right? Right? Like we have to watch this. So Ann and I pop it on TV <laughs> and I'll tell you what, what? I'll tell you what. It's really good. <laughs> it's really good. Apparently, <laughs> in Atlanta, Little John and this designer actually became business partners. And what happens is they go into a house. Little John is the visionary. Like he goes and says, I see this, 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 and this, and this is it. Then the designer actually designs it all. And then they have a contractor that then does the building. But you, you, like you'd think this is a joke, right? Like Lil John is just putting up the money for this. Like he doesn't really have any artistic eye. But I am telling you what they make. Like the very first episode, they take this like middle-aged white couple's basement that they want to use for entertaining, and he turns this drab basement into this New York nightclub kind of feel thing, and it was awesome like it was really good oh i see i'm not the only person who watched it <clears throat> it it was surprisingly good so like all day ann and i are like texting back and forth to each other we got to watch another like after dune because we're going to go see dune again tonight after dune we we're going to come home and watch another episode of little john wants to do what turn down for what like it's, it's it looks like a joke, but it's really funny. It's fun. It's they do, do amazing things with these people's houses. And it's really fun to watch. So, yeah, go check it out. It's on Max. Go on to Max. Go to the HGTV section. Look for Lil John wants to do what? I didn't even know this show existed. And here we are. All right. Let's keep going here. Um Next up, oh, that was random. Okay, now we're going to go over to the Super Chats that people have been sending in. First up, we got uh, uh, Diggy Slick, who writes, I think it's crazy that Sterling, uh, the Sterling K. Brown, from American Fiction, got an Oscar nom over Charles Melton. Sterling didn't do anything special. Oh, you're, you're, you're just dead wrong about that. You are just 100% wrong about that. Yeah, he was pretty damn special in that movie. Anyway, Charles stole the show. Listen, I thought, because going into uh, November, is that the name of the movie, November, December? Or May, December? What's it called again? It's two months. <laughs> May, December? Let's call it May, December. I can't remember the exact name of it, but it's like the name of two months. I, when I heard about that movie and I saw that Charles was in, I'm like, wait a minute, the dude from Riverdale? Really? The dude, May, December. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, um, uh, thank you, guys. Appreciate that. So I remember thinking, really, the guy from Riverdale acting alongside two Academy Award winners. <clears throat> Julianne Moore has an Academy Award, right? Pretty sure she does. At any rate. So you got a couple of Academy Award winners, and he's acting in there like the dude from Riverdale. And listen, he's very good in it. I'm, I'm not taking anything away. He's very good in it. But I'll tell you what, I was a little bit late to the May-December party. 
I just heard a lot. I love all the people involved with it. And I heard everybody raved about how great it was. And all film is subjective, right? It hits us all in different ways. But I was expecting to love it. And I thought it was okay. I no, 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 no. I, I take that back. I it was better than okay. It, it, it was it was pretty good. May December was pretty good. But I didn't think it was great. I didn't think it was great. And I thought Charles was very good in it, but I when I was personally, and again, it's all subjective. Performances hit us all in different ways too, but I have no issue that Charles didn't get it. Now, was I surprised that Sterling K. Brown got a nomination? Yeah, but only because I didn't hear anybody talking about him potentially getting a nomination. I thought he was very good in American fiction. I have no problem. Like, he's not going to win. But I have zero problem that Charles didn't get a nomination. And I have zero problems that Sterling K. Brown did. I mean, he's not going to win. Neither of them are going to win. But... Um, that's just how I kind of saw it myself. But anyway, thanks for sharing your thoughts on that, Diggy. Appreciate it, man. All right, next up. Uh, Damaris Love writes, sends in a $20 super chat. Thank you, Damaris. Appreciate that, man. Writes, hey, John, first hope. Hope you're feeling better. I feel good. Like, here's the funny thing about this damn thing. Like, I got super, super, super sick for about a week. <clears throat> and then I felt perfectly fine. It's just that I've got this chest, you know, inflammation stuff that they warned me would probably last for a couple of months. So I feel good. I feel perfectly fine. It's just, I got this coughing and hacking and wheezing nonsense going on that I can't wait to get rid of. Anyway, uh, my friend asked me if they will reset certain storylines in Deadpool 3 and was worried it would do more harm than good. I told him it depends on what Deadpool considers correcting. I still don't think they're going to do anything major in Deadpool 3. Major in terms of resetting significant MCU storylines. I think a couple of things may change. I, I think a couple of things may change in it. Um, but I like, for instance, I don't think they're going to go back and um, Deadpool stop Steve Rogers from going into the ice in Captain America, the first Avenger. I don't think he goes and kills Thanos before Thanos starts collecting infinity stones. I don't think that he goes back and stops Dr. Banner from getting hit with gamma radiation to turn him into the Hulk. You know, I, I, so I could see them doing a couple little things, maybe doing something where, uh, Quicksilver is still alive or something like that, like some, some more minor things, but I don't see them doing, and I could be wrong. Um, I don't see them doing anything terribly important to the overall MCU in it. I, I just don't, but I mean, Hey, anything's possible, man. Anything is possible. All right. Next up, we got Miguel Zayn who writes, Hey John, I have a feeling that in Deadpool three, the emotional punch of the story is that Deadpool has to choose between saving an entire Marvel universe or saving his family for who he just saved thoughts. Oh my God, that would be deep. Oh, that might be too heavy for a Deadpool movie. Uh, that might be too heavy for a Deadpool movie. Like what if, 
the TVA at or near the end of they realized to save that entire universe, you got to sacrifice these people who love you and that you love. And then do you pull out the Mr. Spock logic? The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Um, oh my God, that would be heavy. I don't know, man. I mean, that sounds like a great story hook. Um, I, I think that sounds like a wonderful story hook. But it might be a little bit too heavy. Uh, maybe that's why he turns on the TVA. Maybe. Oh, God. No, I'm just depressed thinking about that. Man. I mean, it could be really dramatically cool, but would it be too heavy? That's a really great theory, Miguel. All right. <clears throat> Bobby Jackson writes, uh, if the live action He-Man movie actually happens, and I, I don't think it's ever going to happen. I hope it does, though. Uh, I'm more confident seeing it now, having Travis Knight attached to direct it. I love his Bumblebee. Listen, Travis Knight, where the hell has Travis Knight been, by the way? Um, let me pull him up on IMDb here for a second because Travis Knight, he directs Kubo in the two strings, which everybody acknowledges is wonderful, right? Absolutely wonderful. And then for his second film, he directs Bumblebee, which to this day is the best Transformers movie. Bumblebee is the best Transformers movie. He took a franchise that was dead and he infused heart and he infused humanity and he infused life back into it. He made it really enjoyable. Um, and then after he directs Bumblebee in 2018, he doesn't do anything else. He disappears. Like for the last five, six years, he's just been gone. Now, there's talk of him doing a $6 billion man film, uh, which could be interesting. That used to be a film that Jim Carrey was attached to many years ago. Jim Carrey was going to do a $6 billion man film many, many, many years ago. But um, if he ends up doing a Masters of the Universe film, I will get very interested. Let's just say that. I'll be very interested. Because I, I mean, he's only directed two films. But both of them, in my opinion, were bangers. So where the hell, how has this guy not, not gotten like just offered and thrown tons of directing jobs at him? I don't understand. By the way, side note, do you know who Travis Knight is? Anybody in the live chat know who his family is, who his daddy is? So Travis Knight, the director of Kubo and the Two Strings and the director of Bumblebee, uh, his dad is the Nike guy, Phil Knight. The guy Ben Affleck played in Air. That's his dad. A bunch of you guys, I'm looking at the live chat right now, a whole bunch of you guys, uh, a whole bunch of you guys knew that, yeah. But the dude, like he directs two banger films and like for the last five years, I've seen nothing. This guy should be directing more. He should absolutely be directing more. Okay, uh, thanks for that, Bobby. Next up, we got Raph from State Farm writes, um, the only way they will make me see Madam Webb is if we get part two of the Matt Smith topless dance uh, scene with Dakota and Sydney. Uh, and I'm sure if that was in the movie, they would have put it in the trailer. I don't know why I'm going to see this tomorrow, guys. I don't know why. It's a morbid, 
curiosity. Or as I said on the show earlier today, it's a Morbius curiosity. Nothing more than a Morbius curiosity to see just how bad that is. And again, like maybe I'll come out and go, you know what? It wasn't as bad as everybody said. I hope so. I hope so. But, uh, you know, we'll see. All right. Uh, Next up, we got Kyle Schneider who writes, Invincible season two is coming back next month. Yes, it is. Are you all caught up? And what are your thoughts on this season so far? I am all caught up. It's all right. This season's all right. It's not as good as season one, in my opinion. Um, Season one, I really enjoyed. Really enjoyed season one. Uh, I don't think it's as good as Arcane or like The Boys or anything like that, but I thought it was really good. I really enjoyed season one. Season two is is good. It's it's like I didn't ditch on it. I didn't bail on. It. I ca- I watched all the episodes that they had put out in that up to that point. Um, actually, M. Joseph in the live chat's kind of right. The Adam Eve special was really good. I don't know that it was better than season one of Invincible, but the Adam Eve special was definitely better than anything they've done in season two so far. I really did enjoy that Adam Eve special, but uh, yeah, I'll jump back on it once it comes back, but I hope it picks up steam because I, yeah, I'm I'm not loving season two so far, but you know, that's just me. Uh, Okay. Next up, we've got Armando Martinez writes, Jeremy Renner's in the Hurt Locker. Yeah. Jeremy Renner in the Hurt Locker or Tilda Swinton in We Need to Talk About Kevin. Better performance. Ooh, that's a Sophie's choice. That is a tough one. Um, I, they're both great movies and they're both great performances. By the way, like, like John, how good was John C. Riley in that movie too? Ezra Miller is a much younger Ezra Miller before he got all screwed up. Um, but Hurt Locker won Best Picture of the Year. I will lean towards Tilda Swinton in We Need to Talk About Kevin. I think I would give the better movie to Hurt Locker. Like, I think the Hurt Locker is the slightly better movie. But I think in terms of performance, and Jeremy Renner's fabulous in Hurt Locker, but I think I will give Tilda Swinton the, the edge in... Uh, in in that one but it's close man it's close great question armando all right next up Susie indie music fan writes the critics were right one day on netflix could be one of their best shows faithful to the book uh, you are instantly drawn into the actors who are brilliant i know nothing about one day what is one day let me pull this up here one day um i'm assuming this is the one you're talking about i I don't think I've ever seen this trailer. I don't think I've ever heard of this. Yeah, I don't recognize this trailer at all. But you're saying it's great and you're saying the critics ratings on is good. I might have to check it out. Thank you for putting it on my radar. I appreciate that. All right, let's keep things going here. Next up, uh, let's see. John Redcorn writes, I like Venom, but Sony needs to find their own Feige that has quality control and can come up with an actual plan for the universe. Stop writing the MCU's coattails and just do your own thing. Um, 
I think a significant argument can be made that they are indeed not riding their coattails. Right? Uh, They are clearly doing very much their own thing. There's nothing coattail riding about what Sony's doing. If they were doing some coattail riding of the MCU, maybe they would be doing some better stuff. But... Yeah, I look, I think what DC figured out what DC figured out was doing things and what Warner Brothers figured out too late, but was that doing things the way they were doing them was not working. Having no single vision overseeing their cinematic universe, letting each individual director do whatever they want, which made it impossible to have real cohesion in the universe. That was not the recipe for success. That was not the recipe for success. And so one of the first things David Zaslav said when, when he took over and took over Warner brothers was we are going to install a head. We're going to number one, we're going to give DC its own studio. DC had never been given their own studio before. And we are going to install a true visionary leader leadership over there. We're going to put visionary leadership over there to be the guiding vision of the universe, much like Marvel had done with Kevin Feige. And they figure that out. Sony needs to figure that out too. And it can't be Aviarad. Um, but I, I think 100%, I think they need to, Sony needs to come out and say, we need to get ourselves a singular uh, visionary leader or leaders. Cause you know, DC has James Gunn and Peter Safran. We need to get some visionary leadership to come in and be the overall guiding force behind the films that we're doing, because just doing it all willy nilly and just kind of randomly doing this movie and then randomly doing that movie and whatever, And and like, I'm not even saying the movies need to interconnect, right? I'm not saying, oh, Venom needed to show up in Morbius and Morbius needs to show up in Madam Web. I'm not even saying they need to interconnect that way, but you got to have somebody who's got a plan for these movies and and is kind of the the main quality assurance person, the person who's going to push the standards. And as long as it's being done by committee, it's not going to work, you know? Now, here's the problem. Josh Carlos is saying Lord and Miller. The problem is, and I I love Lord and Miller, but they don't have a lot of experience doing live action. And most of these movies are going to be live action. So I I don't know. But yeah, listen, I'll tell you what. If they announced tomorrow that Lord and Miller were going to be the creative oversight leaders of all things Spider-Verse, for Sony live action and animation, I I would be okay with that. I would be very, very, <laughs> I'd be very okay with that. Uh, Canadian Springs said they need Kevin from She-Hulk. That's right. That'll solve all the problems is bringing their own Kevin. But 100%, they need to, they need to get their act together and they're going to create a cinematic universe. You need somebody running that cinematic universe. Marvel has proven you need a leader at the helm. DC is going to prove you need visionary leadership at the helm. And I, I, Sony should probably do the same thing. I'm in agreement with you, 100%. All right, guys, listen. 
We still have some more questions to get through here, but before we do, we're going to take one more minute here and thank another sponsor of today's episode, our friends at Harry's. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Harry's. You know, guys, in order to start the John Campia show, I had to leave my high paying corporate job in order to set myself up to be happier and enjoy more personal success. Because sometimes to get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. And that's exactly what the folks at Harry's did. You see, at Harry's, they saw customers getting ripped off by questionable products in the shaving industry and decided to do something better. Harry's decided to pave their own road by making beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. Except Exceptional products, honest prices. That's Harry's. I have fallen in love with Harry's from their foaming shaving gel that feels just luxurious on the skin to their incredible razor that feels just as good in the hand as it does going over your skin. They've got rich lathering skin softening body wash and scents like Redwood, Wylands, and Stone. You see, Harry's provides German engineered blades made in their own factory that stays sharp longer. You can get a five blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash campia. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash campia. That's harrys.com slash campia for a $3 trial set. And thank you to our friends at Harry's for sponsoring today's episode. All right, guys, let's get back over and finish off your questions here, shall we? We're going to pick things up with Raymond Verrata, who writes, Travis Knight will direct a He-Man film for Amazon. I'm, is that something that just got announced? If it is, I, I mean, that's great. We were just talking about that a second ago. Because I said, you know, I, I had, I don't know if he's going to be directing this thing or not, but that'd be pretty cool if it is. That's something for us to talk about tomorrow for sure. And where the hell have you been, man? Uh, Nora Camboge writes, watch Taylor Swift be Lady Deadpool. You know what? Everybody's just been assuming she'd be Dazzler, but I could see them doing a Lady Dead. I mean, cameo, not a, a full-fledged big role in the movie, but maybe like a cameo sort of thing. I can maybe see, like maybe um, the TVA says to Deadpool, we tried one or two other of your variants for this, and then they flash to Lady Deadpool as Taylor Swift and flash to somebody else, Jack Black playing Deadpool, whatever. They didn't quite work out. You are the alpha Deadpool. I don't know. Maybe they could do something like that. That could be fun. All right. Uh, next up, Drew writes, Hey, John, love the show. Thank you so much. Uh, you think if Apple canned Argyle, bought and released Wiley versus Acme, they would have made a better profit? Um, No. I don't. I really don't. Because here's the thing. Let me bring it up. Uh, Argyle box office. Argyle, which did not do good at the box office, uh, still made. Come on. Where is the box office? Uh, hold on a second. Let me see if I can bring it up now. Okay, there we go. So Argyle has so far made $60 million, right? That's not much. It's made $60 million worldwide. Here's the thing. Coyote versus Acme wasn't going to make $60 million. Just wasn't. Now, 
my basis for that is admittedly anecdotal, but I have had many people over the past three, four months writing in about Argyle, right? You got Bryce Dallas Howard, you got Henry Cavill, you got John Cena, you got Sam Rockwell, it's being directed by Matthew Vaughn, you know, all that kind of stuff, spy thriller, all that kind of, I've had I've had many people write in talking about Argyle. Up until they made the announcement that they were canceling Coyote versus Acme. Do you know how many emails I have had over the past year from messages from viewers and fans or tip questions or Mint Mobile hotlines before they announced the cancellation? Do you know how many emails, messages and phone messages I've gotten from people about Coyote versus Acme? A, a literal zero, none. Nobody's talked about it. There has been zero anticipation. There's been zero excitement. Nobody has talked about it. And so there is zero reason in the world to believe that Coyote versus Acme that nobody was talking about would have made more money than Argyle as badly as Argyle has done. The, I, I just don't, I don't think there's any true legitimate reason to believe. And we'll never know. I mean, we'll never know for sure. But there's no reason to believe that that movie would have made $60 million. Like none. So, no, uh, I don't think that if Apple had bought it, and that's why Apple didn't buy it. If Apple thought that Coyote versus Acme could have made $75 million, they would have paid Warner Brothers $75 million to take it. But Apple did not believe that the movie could make that much money, unfortunately. Nobody, no studio believed it could. That's why none of them just offered to buy it for the price they were asking for it. So, yeah, it's unfortunate, though, because I, for one, would like to see this movie. Count me as somebody who would like to see this Coyote versus Acme movie. But it's not my money, so I, I can understand why they're kind of shelving it. It's just unfortunate. Maybe somebody will come along and buy it and put up the $75 million to buy it. All right. Armando Martinez writes, seeing Diego Luna grow from Narcos to Star Wars is amazing. Uh, do you think he can become one of the best Latin actors of all time? Uh, I don't know about that. I mean, how old uh, Diego Luna? How old is he now? Diego Luna was born, okay, so he's 40, he's only 44. He's only 44 years old, so he's still pretty young. He's still got a lot of his career ahead of him. Look, the answer is any good actor still could become the greatest, any good Latin actor could become the greatest Latin actor of all time. Um, I would not put money on Diego Luna becoming the greatest Latin actor of all time, but he's really good. And I thoroughly enjoy him whenever he's on screen and just about anything. Uh, and him and Andor. Well, first of all, I'm glad you brought up Narcos. He's so good in Narcos and he's had fantastic in Andor, but I, I, I think, 
I think it's a bit of a stretch to say the greatest Latin actor of all time. I, I don't think I see that, but he that's not to take away how great he is, because he is great. I th- really think he's wonderful. All right, <clears throat> next up, we got Armando Martinez writes, better movie, Sam Raimi Spider-Man 2 or Deadpool 1? <sighs> I can only tell you that I enjoyed Deadpool 1 more. I, I will say Deadpool 1. But if you ask me again in a year, I might say Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2. Like, it's close. It's close. Spider-Man 2, for now, remember, Spider-Man 2 was made in a different era of comic book movies. But for a long, there was a good number of years that Spider-Man 2, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2, was in the conversation as being maybe the greatest comic book movie ever made. Again, not it's not in that conversation today, but there was a number of years that Spider-Man 2 was in that conversation. Whenever you brought the conversation, the best comic book movies ever made, best superhero movies ever made, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2 was definitely in that conversation. It was a different era of, it was before this new golden age of comic book movies, but it was, it was, it's so good. And it stands up. It's a movie that completely holds up and stands up. But for me, Deadpool 1 broke down a lot of walls. Like it broke new ground for a superhero movie that we hadn't really seen a lot of before that. And, you know, Rob, when Rob describes Deadpool 1, I love the way he puts this because it's true. It isn't just a dirty action film with a lot of swearing. It's like, it's a movie with great heart at the, at the heart of Deadpool 1's story about a guy who loves a girl. Right. And it's it's powerfully and beautifully made. So, look, again, if you ask me again next year, I may very well see Spider say Spider-Man 2 today. I'll say Deadpool one because I know if I was about to go on a flight to Canada and I had to just choose one movie to watch right now, either Spider-Man 2, which I love or Deadpool one, which I love. I'm probably thinking today I'd pick Deadpool one. But again, it's so close to me. That if you ask me again in six months, I might give you a completely different answer. So it's an excellent question. All right. Next up, uh, we've got something. Who writes? One, did the guy y'all hinted at appear in the Deadpool trailer? Uh, two, and do you think Deadpool comes in contact with the symbiote before Peter? No. So <clears throat> what FR is referring to is both... Robert Meyer Burnett and I have heard from fairly reliable sources. Although take that with a grain of salt, because man, the source I heard that Kathleen Kennedy was going to be out as the head of Lucasfilm before the end of 2023 was almost as reliable as it comes. Like if I told you the person's name, you would reckon most of you were most of you, not all of you. Most of you would recognize the name and that didn't happen. So take that with a grain of salt. But <laughs> both Rob and I have heard um, about somebody who is going to appear in the movie. Cameo, Cameo, I think is going to get like one, maybe two minutes of screen time. But it's pretty big. It's pretty big. Let's put it this way. If I were to say the name right now, 
on a live stream, it would be the headline on a bunch of outlets tomorrow. Would be so-and-so reportedly in Deadpool 3 would be the headline on a lot of the websites tomorrow, if I were to say it. But <clears throat> I'm not going to say it. Um, and I mean, no, 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 no. I mean, uh, Stavros is saying I'm betting it's Magneto. No, no. Patrick Stewart has hinted that Magneto is going to be in it, right? That wouldn't be news. Like Patrick Stewart himself has kind of hinted, like didn't confirm, but it's kind of hinted that Magneto may pop up in it. So that, yeah, it's definitely, definitely not that. And no, I, I will tell you right now, Drew, it is not Tom Cruise's Iron Man, but it's something that would be on that level. That's all I'm going to say. It's something that would be on that level. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, it, it's, it's fairly big. You know what? I'm going to, what can I do about this? I'm still trying to find out if it's possible that this person may appear in a trailer at some point. I'll tell you what, I've been very tempted to write to Ryan Reynolds and ask just, I've been wanting to write to Ryan. Like I, I don't do this, <clears throat> but I've wanted to write to Ryan and just say, Hey, look, I have heard this person's going to pop up in the movie. And, but I, I don't know how to approach it. Cause what do I say to him? I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm trying to reach out to him to break a scoop. So like, if like, how do I word it? Do I write to him and say, I have heard that this person is going to pop up in Deadpool three. If that is true. And if you guys plan on having him in the marketing at some point anyway, can you let me know if either it's not true or it is true, but you want to keep it under wraps, just don't reply. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to ask because I don't, I don't want to come across like one of these pathetic. I'm trying to get a scoop. I'm trying to get a story. I don't want to come across like one of those people. So I don't know what to do. But it is something that if I said it right now, many of you would be excited. Many of you would be excited. So uh, Rob knows it too. We're, we're just going to sit on it and see what happens over the next couple of months. See what happens over the next. Maybe I'll leak it to uh, some other website so they can post the story. I don't know. We'll see. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up, uh, we've got Kevin Ferrer who writes, Hey, John, if Patrick Mahomes wins uh, the three-peat, does that make him the GOAT? Because Tom Brady's never done that. No, because Tom Brady has seven rings. Seven rings. Let me repeat. Tom Brady has seven rings. If Patrick Mahomes can win again next year, good for him. He'll still need three more Super Bowl titles to just tie what Tom Brady did. Um, so, so no, <laughs> Patrick Mahomes. Hey, listen, I'm not saying Patrick Mahomes can't become the GOAT someday. Patrick Mahomes is the one NFL player today who is, actually has the potential to maybe someday pass Tom Brady. But he is years away from being able to do that. Like years, <clears throat> right? Because here's the thing. 
Tom Brady also showed that he could win championships with different teams. I don't just mean the Patriots and the Buccaneers. I mean, he was on New England for so long that the team he won his first Super Bowl with and the team he won his fourth Super Bowl with were was a completely different New England Patriot team. And the team he won his fourth Super Bowl with and the team he won his sixth Super Bowl with on the New England Patriots was, again, a completely different team. And then, of course, he went again to another completely different team with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and won another title there. Patrick Mahomes has essentially been playing with the same core players for for his career so far, right? How good is he going to be? And I'm not saying I'm not saying I doubt it or I doubt him. I'm just asking. How good will he be once he doesn't have Travis Kelsey anymore? Right? <clears throat> How good is he going to be when uh coach Andy retires? One of, one of the great coaches of all time. But when Andy retires and he's getting close to retire, he may some NFL insiders believe Andy might retire this offseason. But even if he doesn't retire this offseason, he's going to retire in the next year or two. <clears throat> when Coach Reed goes, how good will he be then? You know, and there are still a lot of questions that need to be answered. If any current NFL player has the potential to answer those questions, it's Patrick Mahomes. But we are 10 years away, like a decade away from being able to seriously ask the question, Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady right now. It's that's a joke. That's a joke of a question. Tom Brady got seven NFL rings, seven rings with different iterations of one team and another completely different team with multiple coaches, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You can't win with one team and uh, then consider yourself any kind of anything. Tom Brady's the goat. Ask any NFL player, ask any NFL analyst, who's the goat? Tom Brady. That's it. Period. Mahomes wins three more rings. Then there's a conversation. Then there's a serious conversation to have, but it's not even remotely close right now. It's not even remotely close. Um, Patrick Mahomes is not in the conversation yet. If he stays on this pace, he will be. You bet your ass he will be. But we're still a decade. We're a decade away from that, from figuring that out. So there's that. I can I just tell you it gives me great joy looking at all the crybabies trying to who always whenever you bring up the fact that Tom Brady with his seven rings is the goat of all time always looking at the Patriot haters cry that it feeds my soul it makes me so happy watching people cry oh it brings me so much joy okay next up uh Susie indie music fan writes um for Madam Webb I would have got Emerald Emerald Fennel, writer, director of Promising Young Woman slash Saltborn or someone like that, um, who, you know, is talented if you cared. I listen, Saltburn was really good. Promising Young Woman was very good, but I don't think that and that that guy can win Oscars in his future. I I, I don't see the sensibility to write a, or to write or direct a really good action focused comic book film, though. So I don't know that I would have gone there. Maybe as a writer, because they certainly couldn't have done any worse for a writer, right, Susie? Maybe as a writer. I don't think as a director, because I've never seen them doing anything that, that shows they have that sensibility for that kind of film. But I guess anything would have been better. Um, 
Uh, anything would have been better otherwise. All right. Uh, Mr. I writes, one of two. Does Marvel Studios have any recourse to get their IP back from Sony? No. When Sony has no quality concerns uh, of their films, the general audience may not differentiate Sony Marvel from Marvel Studios. That's true. There's some in the audience that don't. Uh, but then there's some in the audience who don't know how to differentiate between a Marvel movie and a DC movie either. So there's that. Uh, these subpar movies could tarnish Marvel Studios' uh, reception. They don't need any more help in tarnishing it. No, it's, you know, it's an excellent, excellent, excellent point, Mr. I. <clears throat> 100%. But no, they have no recourse to get uh, Spider-Man back unless Sony goes X number of years without having a new Spider-Verse movie in production. <clears throat> Not in theaters, but in production. And I, I can't remember how many years. I think it's like every three or every four years or might even be every five years. It's one of them. Sony has to at least be in production of another Spider-Man Spider-Verse movie. And as long as they do that, Spider-Man stays theirs forever. Right? My question for Sony is, I get then why you want to keep making Spider-Verse movies, but why not put more effort into them and make them good? Just a wild idea. Just throwing that out there. Why not make them good? You know? Um, you know, whatever, that sort of thing. Um, Dom is saying, is John from the New England area? Area? No, I'm not. What happened was when I was young, when I was, when I was a kid, my team, cause I grew up very, I grew up in Hamilton, Ontario, which is right beside Buffalo across the border in the States, right? Very close. So I followed the Buffalo bills and <laughs> When the New York Giants, coached by legendary coach Bill Parcells, beat the Bills, I kind of became a big fan of Bill Parcells, like a big fan of the coach. Later, Bill Parcells, who I was starting to follow and starting to you know root for Bill Parcells' teams, Bill Parcells later went to the New England Patriots. Uh, Tom Brady wasn't yet the quarterback there. It was, uh, what was... Help me, guy. Who the, I, I can see his face. Who was the quarterback of the Patriots right before Tom Brady took over? Like the 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 guy who was the the quarterback, Drew Bledsoe. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, I'm looking at Drew Bledsoe's face in my head. So thank you, Michael. Um, so when Coach Parcells went to New England again, I was I was young. I was just a kid. But when Parcells went to New England, I started following the New England Patriots. Now, the Buffalo Bills were still my number one team, right? Until the Bills betrayed their fans by getting to the playoffs and pulling their starting quarterback who got them to the playoffs, Doug Flutie, in fate because the owner wanted to play their new number one draft pick quarterback. Doug Flutie got them to the playoffs and they pulled him in the playoffs so they could play their rookie. Obviously, they lost the game, and I kind of, I still have a very special place in my heart for the Buffalo Bills, but I kind of jumped off the bill. I, I felt betrayed as a Bills fan that they did that. And so at that point, all the way back in the Doug Flutie era, that's when New England then got elevated to being the main team that I would follow. <laughs> so for decades, I I started following the, the Patriots for decades after that, and then this 
Tom Brady kid came along and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, anyway, there was that. All right. Uh, so yes, 100%, Mr. I, you're right. Sony putting out crappy comic book movies is bad for Marvel. It's also bad for DC. It's bad for everybody. So I guarantee you, James Gunn and Kevin Feige are probably on the phone. It's like, what the hell are these guys at Sony doing? They're going to ruin it for everybody. Um, but yeah, there is no recourse for them to get it back unless Sony stops making these Spider-Verse movies. So, but then I don't want, like, see, here's the problem though. Sony has made the three out of all the Spider-Man movies that have been made by Marvel and by Sony, the three, not one, not two, but three, the three best Spider-Man movies were all made by Sony. Like I love Homecoming and I love Far From Home and I love No Way Home, but none of them are in the top three best Spider-Man movies of all time. The three best Spider-Man movies of all time are Spider-Man 2 and in no particular order, Spider-Man 2, Into the Spider-Verse and Across the Spider-Verse. Those are easily the three best Spider-Man movies and they're all Sony Spider-Man movies. So I don't want Sony to stop making Spider-Man movies because I want... I want them to keep putting out those Spider-Verse films, but I just want them to start giving a crap about the live action ones they're doing. <sighs> anyway, enough of my crying. Uh, next up, Culture Wars Diplomacy writes, I have to card people for my job. I figured out if they look too old to be carded as a high school kid in Hollywood, then you're over 30. <laughs> yeah. If you look too old in Hollywood, then you're, you're probably well into your 30s. I, I still thought it was hilarious. Like, <coughs> Ann and I went to a club in Vegas. But I get it. It's the rules. It's the law. Um, I got carded. But, I mean, obviously the person carding me culture war, as I'm sure this happens to you a lot, clearly they know I am well of age um just like you probably know many of the people are well of age but it's their job it's the rules they got to card them and stuff like that uh chef <laughs> Franco is saying uh, i got carded and it felt amazing yeah and still gets carded all the time and still gets carded all the time um and that's that's crazy. But she gets carded all the time. She always loves it that she gets carded. So I get that. All right. Uh, let's see. We only got a couple more questions here. Next up, we've got uh, Devin Lida who writes, do you still have an X account? No. Uh, I'd like to follow if possible. Bring on the filthy. Nope. I, I, I deleted and got rid of my Twitter slash X account. I had over 100,000 followers on Twitter too. I was on Twitter for a lot of years. Uh, and built it up, had over 100,000 followers on Twitter. Even after, remember a bunch of years ago, Twitter did that bot follower purge and a bunch of people lost a bunch of their uh, followers. I I thought I had, I thought a lot of my followers were just bots trying to spam me. But even after the purge, I still had a lot. And I ended up with over like the 103, 104, 105,000 followers on Twitter. But Twitter was such a cesspool. Like just such an absolute cesspool. And it was just becoming worse. Like the amount of bullshit I would see on there and, and like certain things that got promoted. And I'm just like, eh, 
And, you know, every social media, every social media platform can easily become that. Right. But I was already, for those of you guys who followed me for a long time, like, you know, for years, I've considered just getting rid of my Twitter. And I may have gotten rid of it anyway, too. But once Elon Musk, and not because Elon Musk bought it. No, I, I own two of Elon's cars. I've been, you know, um, but once he dismantled their um, moderation staff, their mod staff to moderate like really toxic hate content, like a lot of the bullshit stuff that would be out there. Once they dismantled their moderation infrastructure, it, I just noticed it just empowered a lot of people to be even worse and worse and worse and worse. And it was, and even though I had over, like, like I said, I had over a hundred thousand followers on Twitter, which is nothing compared to people who aren't nobodies, but as a nobody having a hundred thousand followers is pretty big, right? I mean, not for a, for a, a well-known person, but for a nobody, a hundred thousand followers on Twitter is a lot of followers for a nobody, but it, it didn't matter. It was just like this. It's just, a, it's, I felt every time I, it started to get to the point that every time I opened Twitter, I felt like a little piece of my soul died. I, I don't know how else to explain it other than that, that every time I opened Twitter, it started to feel like a piece of my humanity died. And it's, it was just a window. Twitter became a window into the absolute worst of humanity. That's what it felt like. I felt like opening Twitter was like going to a window shade, opening it up and looking at the worst of humanity. And I did a bunch of stints where I would like get off Twitter for a month or two and then go back and then get off Twitter again for another couple of months and then go back. And then finally, I just decided, you know what? This, this place is a toxic cesspool. I, and, and again, all the other social media platforms could become that as well. But I, I don't want to be on this anymore. Like, listen, <clears throat> I get it too. I understand there's a price for not being on there because with a hundred thousand followers on Twitter and the way Twitter is used, that is a big way to promote my YouTube channel. That is a big tool to promote my videos and to promote my business. And you know what? I just had to make the decision. I made the a number of decisions about a year ago. You guys know this about a year ago or a little less than a year ago. I made a number of decisions that even though I know this will mean less promotion and less um, publicity and whatever for my YouTube channel and less push for my videos and will mean my video counts will come down. Even though I understood that, I said, my humanity is more important to me. I just feel awful and and dirty when I go onto Twitter, I don't want to, I don't want to do that anymore. Even though it's going to hurt my YouTube channel, even though it's going to hurt my ability to promote myself and all that kind of stuff. I, I just decided it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it. So I, um, I decided I finally made the decision to just deactivate it and just turn it off and delete it. And, uh, and I know there's a lot of people who would love to have a hundred thousand followers on Twitter, but, and they're, they're like, looked at me and said, are you crazy? Like I literally had people in our industry <coughs> like reach out to me and said, 
hey man, your Twitter's gone. Is something wrong? Blah, blah, blah. And I tell him, no, I just decided it's a, it's just too awful of a place. I don't want to be on it anymore. And I deleted it. And they're like, are you crazy? How long did it take you to build up 100,000 followers on there? And do you know what you know, having that kind of online leverage does to help you promote blah, blah, blah? I said, look, I understand all that. I do. But life's too short, man. And every second on Twitter was wasted moments of my life and wasted moments of your life. So I decided not to. So now I honestly don't, I should do more on social media. Like I'm still, I still love, I love Instagram. Um, I've used threads a little bit from time to time, but I don't use it to promote my channel anymore. I just use it to have some fun interactions on social media. Uh, I don't use either a lot, but, <clears throat> but I find them to be much more pleasant places to be uh, than, than, uh, than on Twitter. And, and look, I'm not at, at the risk of sounding like I'm trying to dissuade anybody else from using. Listen, if you're on Twitter and you have fun using Twitter, awesome. Good for you. I'm not trying to talk anybody out, out of using Twitter. Not at all. If you're on there and you're having a good time and it, it's, it's, and it's fun for you. Great. I'm not trying to dissuade you or anybody else from using it whatsoever. But since you're asking me about my thing on Twitter, um, yeah, it, again, it just felt like it felt like a little bit of your soul died every time I opened it. So I just decided to stop using Twitter. So that's me. Anyway, thank you for the question, uh, Devin. I appreciate that. Um, next up, uh, the Richard traveling underwater lounge writes, Aloha, John mint gave me a free month after a year plus now six months at a discount. Nice. Love mint mobile. I feel Deadpool will revolutionize all future marketing. Let me tell you what, guys, seriously, um, Mint Mobile has been, Ryan Reynolds and Mint, Mint Mobile <clears throat> have been a real godsend to me. You know what? I actually had somebody write in the other day that said, John, sometimes you're really mean to Ryan Reynolds. Like, why do you always feel the need to bring up how much you didn't like Red Notice and how much you didn't like Six Underground? Because I do. I Like, I admittedly... I bring that up a lot and I mention that a lot, but I think the reason I bring that up a lot, to be honest with you, the reason I bring up all the time, the fact that I hated those Ryan Reynolds movies was because, you know, Ryan is, uh, and Mint Mobile have been like the main sponsor <clears throat> of the John Campia show for a couple of years now, Right. <clears throat> for those of you know who don't know how really special this is for us, this is how sponsorships normally work. A sponsor will reach out to my ad reps, right? And then they'll sign up for, say, one week a month for three months, right? So you'll see like this week, Harry's, by the way, Harry's is great. Uh, and we're so grateful and we're super thrilled to have them as one of our sponsors. But like Harry's reach out and say, we want to be, we want to sponsor the John Campus show. And what we'd like to do is uh, one spot a month. That's one week of shows, one spot a month for four months. So that'd be spread over four months. So like one week in February, one week in March, one week in June, one week in July. Right. And then, then sometimes they re up, like we've had masterclass re up. Manscaped re-up, 
Uh, HelloFresh has been with us many times. Fume has re-upped with us. Like a lot of our sponsors then re-up, but they only sponsor for so long because at some point they have now reached the John Campy Show audience, right? <clears throat> and at some point, I mean, Manscaped still sponsors us, but at some point Manscaped will stop sponsoring us, not because they haven't loved being our sponsor and we haven't loved having them as sponsors, but at some point they're going to go, okay, we're not getting new customers anymore from the John Campy Show because we've had full exposure to the John Campy Show audience now. So anybody from the John Campy Show audience who was going to sign up have probably signed up by now, like after a year or two, right? Well, this is how special the Mint Mobile situation has been for us. Mint Mobile has not been our one week a month thing. They have been our main sponsor every single day for two and a half years. Every single day for like two and a half years. They have gone so far above and beyond what any sponsor would or could or should do. It has been absolutely <clears throat> um, like amazing. Absolutely amazing. And I remember when um, I shouldn't tell you this. Okay, I'm going to tell you this simply because um, I want you to know how amazing this dude is, not, not because of anything else, but I just want to tell you this for how, how amazing this dude is. <clears throat> when, and again, I shouldn't even tell you this, but when Mint Mobile signed up for like the full, a full year, every single day, and, you know, we have the Mint Mobile hotline and all that kind of stuff. I wrote <coughs> to Ryan and I said, hey, look, I don't know. Because Ryan, Ryan Reynolds and I had, have, we, we've, we've interacted, uh, you know, over email and stuff like that before. But I wrote, reached out <coughs> and I said, uh, listen, I don't know if you had anything to do with this personally but in case you did, and Mint Mobile just signed up to be like this uh, big, big sponsor of ours and like our everyday sponsor, our main show sponsor. That's why we start the John Camp Show every day. Brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. Like I start every show with that, right? So I wrote to Ryan and said, look, I don't know if you had anything to do with this personally, but if you did, I just want to say thank you uh, because this is huge for our channel. And... Um, uh, Ryan wrote me back and just said, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm thrilled to be a, a lifelong supporter of you and what you do and stuff like that. It's just, it meant a lot to me um, personally. <clears throat> I'm sure a lot of it is the Canadian connection, but um, it has been a very, very, very special relationship that we've had with Mint uh, for all these years. Now, look, they, they cannot be our, our sponsor forever, right? Uh, they, they, they just can't. So this relationship, it, it's already been like two years longer than what any other sponsorship should be. So it's going to end. <laughs> it's going to end. But I can't emphasize enough how big and how important um, 
that the Mint sponsorship has been to the John Campia show uh, that has really helped us survive in some time, it's in some times and helped us thrive in other times. They have been a terrific sponsor. Uh, they are also, I'm not blowing smoke when I say they are my mobile service provider. They are 100% my mobile service provider. I love them as a service. Um, and when it is time for them to end their sponsorship with us, uh, it will have been, we have benefited so much and you, our audience have, have benefited, uh, from them a lot, but yeah. So getting back to what I was mentioning earlier, when I have some people say, John, why are you always so mean about Ryan Reynolds like red notice? Why, why do you always feel the need to bring up how bad red notice and 600 ground are? I kind of feel the need to bring that up because I feel like I need to keep a balance because Ryan and Mint Mobile are our main sponsors and I need to make sure to, you know, keep them in their place a little bit. I don't want to create the impression that because they're sponsors, I'm just going to say nothing but good things about Ryan Reynolds all the time. It is still my job, even though Mint Mobile and Ryan are the, like the main sponsors of our show, it is still my job to give my honest opinion, right? I have to give my, I always have to make sure I'm giving my, my audience my honest opinion. And I feel like, because Ryan, before they became our sponsor, you guys know this, who followed me for a long time, before Mint Mobile became our sponsor, you know, Ryan's my favorite movie star, right? <clears throat> he's my favorite guy in the business. A little part of that has to do that he's a good Canadian kid. Uh, but <clears throat> he's my favorite guy in the business. But I feel this inherent need that when I talk about something great that Ryan's doing and how much I like something Ryan's doing, I feel the need that I need to also take it down a little bit and say, remind everybody, but hey, Red Notice sucked. Because I'm sorry, but it did kind of suck. Um, Six Underground was terrible. Like I feel the need that I have to keep it in check a little bit because I'm always terrified. I, like I'm very, obviously we're very forthright, right? That we let everybody know Mint is the main sponsor of our show. Everybody, we don't hide it. It's not like Mint Mobile or Ryan Reynolds secretly sends me checks in the mail and shh, so I can just say good things about it. Everybody knows Mint's our main sponsor. So maybe that's why sometimes I feel and everybody knows Ryan's my favorite movie star, but maybe that's why I feel the need to sometimes keep it in check a little bit and follow it up by saying something negative. Cause I don't want to create the impression that, well, Ryan's our main sponsor. So I got to say good things about anything to do with Ryan Reynolds. And maybe because of my sensitivity to that, I'm a little too mean. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm a little too mean to some of his stuff that I don't think is great. I don't know, <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's, that's just me, but I'm super glad Richard that you've enjoyed mint. And by the way, guys, my, my, my viewers of the John Campy show, um, go sign up for mint. Like I, I honestly mean this. I, I say in the ads that I now spend less than one third of my phone bill that I used to pay. And I have every bit of the great service that I used to have. Um, you guys go give Mint Mobile a try. I, I firmly believe, I won't say the word guarantee, but I firmly believe if you guys go and try Mint Mobile, you're going to love the service. <laughs> you're going to love how inexpensive it is. And, um, you're just going to love it. I, I think you're going to love it. I, I, even once Mint is no longer our sponsor, I, they will still be my cell phone provider. So yeah, there's that. Anyway, 
big long story for nothing. Sorry about that, guys, for going down that rabbit hole, but I just wanted to share that. All right. Uh, next up, Murray Reich writes, I had a friend who once went to see a movie at a smaller theater, but arrived late. But then he realized the showtime had been canceled by the last minute due to nobody being in the room. Is that legal? <coughs> yes, I think that is legal. Like, I think if, if your friend had showed up on time and was there, I think they probably would have um, run the show. But I think for a movie theater, if literally, if showtime comes, by the way, can I just say this? Every husband in the world can relate with what I'm about to say. Don't tell Ann. Ann knows this. There is nothing that drives me more crazy than people being late. I don't know why. I don't know why. <clears throat> I hate it when people are late. Don't be like it, the great movie, uh, Best of the Best with James Earl Jones, the iconic words from James Earl Jones. Don't be late. Don't ever be late. I hate it when people are late. I hate it, hate it, hate it. And I really hate it when I'm late, especially if I'm late because my wife's still getting ready. Don't tell Anne I said that. Don't tell Anne I said that. But every every, uh, every husband can, can uh, relate with that. But I, if your person showed up late and, and there was literally nobody in the theater, I think the theater's totally within their rights to, Shut it down. Listen, there are movie theaters, the, the Arclight Theater in Hollywood. It's now shut down because of the pandemic, but it's the movie theater that Quentin Tarantino would go to to watch the big new movies and all that kind of stuff. And Steven Spielberg goes there. But the Arclight Theater in Hollywood had a rule. If you weren't there by showtime, they didn't let you in. How do you like them apples? If you weren't there by showtime, they didn't let you in. And I don't think you got a refund either. The ticket said when the showtime was, you got, it's up to you to show up on time. Anyway, that, that's, uh, that's neither here nor there. But yeah, I, I think if the showtime came and nobody was in the theater, I think the, the movie theater then has every right to cancel the screening. I think they do. So yeah, tell your friend to be on time. <laughs> Or to make sure other people go before they get there. <coughs> yeah, anyway. All right. Next up, and I think this is the last question. Yep, last question today comes up from Christopher Brickner, who writes, at least Craven has better writers than Madam Web. Oh, Craven, yes. I thought you were saying Morbius had, no, saying no, they had the same, yes. Yes, and a better director. <coughs> Listen, I don't want to say I've given up all hope, on Craven. It's just that when I see what Sony's done to like Morbius, to Madam Web, it gives me very little reason to be hopeful. Again, there are still reasons to be hopeful, right? You got Kick-Ass in there. You got Ariana DeBoyce, an Academy Award winner. You got Russell Crowe, an Academy Award winner. You got JC Chandor directing. Listen, Craven has more, I understand that Craven has more going for it than Madam Web does. It does, okay? No question. 
But it's hard to stay enthusiastic when you see what Sony's doing with these other films, right? All right. <clears throat> you know what? I'm going to take just a couple of more minutes and uh, go to you guys in the live chat. If you guys have a question for me, do me a favor, format it like this, put question, colon, and then, um, you know, uh, here's my question, right? Sort of thing. So uh, you see how I just put that in the live chat. So if you got a question, do me a favor, write in all capital letters, question, colon, and then write your question. And I'll, uh, I'll take a couple of questions here. I'm not going to get to all of them. I'm just, I just got a few minutes. Um, this is an interesting one. Josh Chambers is asking, thoughts on the 2009 horror film Orphan? <coughs> I liked it. I didn't think it was great. And I kind of saw the twist coming. But didn't they do a sequel to that as well? about the little girl who ended up being, uh, well, I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, I think they did a, a sequel to that too, if I'm not sure. All right, <clears throat> Q writes, do you think if Deadpool is a hit, we will get more R-rated films in Marvel? Well, listen, it's sounding like they've already changed their minds about R-rated films in Marvel because it sounds like Kevin Feige is going to let Blade be rated R. So... Yeah, it sounds like they might be more open to R-rated films now. So, and, and listen, and if Deadpool, if Deadpool is a billion-dollar film, which I think it will be, um, <coughs> and then, then yeah, I think we can probably, especially other Deadpool movies. All right, John A.M. writes, "What will be Deadpool and Wolverine's opening weekend?" I'm going to project two hundred million. My, my long range projection, and I reserve the right to change my mind because if the other trailers aren't good, maybe that'll come down. But right now, my long range guess is 200 million. Um, let's see. <clears throat> Rav writes, Cody versus Acne had no trailer, so no one was talking about it. Irrelevant. I get people writing in questions a lot about upcoming movies that the trailer hasn't come out yet for. Even a lot of times I get people writing in going, when do you think we're going to get the first trailer for so-and-so? Like, I literally have people writing in questions about movies that may not be coming out for another year or two all the time, or especially once we get into the year that it's coming out and people start writing some questions about it, they'll start asking, when do you think we're going to get the first trailer and all this kind of stuff. But no, I mean, like literally from the day they announced the movie to the day they announced they were scrapping the movie, I never got one person ask me a single question about it. And I get tons of questions about tons of movies that have not put out their first trailers yet uh, all the time. So, yeah, there was that. Um, let's see. Hernandez is writing, did you watch the 12 Monkey series? I did not. I did not. <laughs> I love the movie. I love 12 Monkeys, the movie. But I never did get around to watching the series. I've heard it's good, though. I've actually heard it's really good. Um, let's see. Uh, Matt Weeks writes, here's my question. What is your favorite all-time horror movie? Do any of you guys know? in the live chat you guys know what i'm gonna say do you, any of you guys know what i'm gonna say about what my favorite horror movie is that's right joseph m got it the descent the descent is my favorite horror movie well that and the 1980s american werewolf in london not american werewolf in paris but american werewolf in london um <clears throat> uh yeah so there's that um, my kid banana writes, Jeff Snyder's sad on John Roca. Yeah, you probably mean said Jeff Snyder said on John Roca's podcast today that he would love to come on your show sometime. Do you think that's possible? I'll tell you a story. 
Um, <clears throat> Jeff, Jeff and I have a very interesting past. Um, we start, Jeff and I started out many years ago, <clears throat> not being tremendously big fans of each other. Let, let me just put it that way that Jeff and I started out and I won't, I'm not going to go into why, and I'm not going to go into what I said and what he said. I'm not going to go into any of that, but uh, Jeff Snyder and I started off uh, many years ago, not being very, very big fans of each other. <clears throat> but, you know, uh, as, as a couple of years passed, we had the opportunity to, to cross paths and then even work adjacent to each other a little bit. And, and I really grew in my respect for Jeff Snyder, uh, like a, a lot. Um, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Jeff Snyder, as a matter of fact. I mean, and I disagree with Jeff on a lot of stuff, but I don't base my respect level for somebody else based on whether we agree on things or not. I, I think he's really good at what he does. <clears throat> he was a terrific movie trivia competitor as well. Um, and he's a good Tom Brady fan. So <clears throat> anyway, fast forward a couple of years. There was a, a, a time a couple of years ago that I was, I put the word out that I was looking to hire for a certain position in my company. And uh, Jeff reached out to me and he and I had a, had a conversation <laughs> about the possibility of him coming to work with me. And I ultimately said no, but here's the reason I said no. And, and I, I had a phone conversation with Jeff and I said, Jeff, here's the reason I'm, I'm going to say no. You're overqualified, man. You're too good for this. Like, and I said to him, <coughs> because I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. And I said, and I'm not going to tell you exactly what the job was at the time, but I said to him, look, my feeling though is um, that you're so qualified and so good. I said, I think number one, you're not going to have the opportunity to really redo the potential of what you're capable of. And two, I honestly think you're going to get bored in this job pretty quick because you're overqualified for this. You need something better. And I, and I, I said that, to him. I said, you need something better than what this job is that I have here. And we ended our conversation, Jeff and I, <clears throat> and again, we don't see eye to eye on everything, not at all, but Jeff and I ended our conversation with, with he and I both kind of saying, at least from my side, saying that, you know, I, I see somewhere down the road, we will probably work together again. I, I don't think this is the position for you though. I think you're going to get bored of it and you're going to quit in a couple of months because you are overqualified for this. Uh, that's how much respect I have for him. So... <clears throat> Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I could, I'll t listen, I'll totally have Jeff on my show sometime. I, I haven't hit him up or bothered him with him because he's clearly a very, very, very busy guy. And, uh, him and John Roca do a great job over, uh, uh, over with the show that they do there. And they break a lot of big stuff on that show and good on him. I think it's great. So I know he's really busy, but yeah, at some point I'm definitely going to probably drop Jeff a note and ask if he wants to come on and, uh, and be a guest on sometime. <laughs> so yeah, like, listen, let me say this about Jeff. 
Um, I often tell you guys that like, I am not a journalist and there's a lot of like YouTube podcaster blog guys who call themselves journalists. You're, they're not journalists. I'm not a journalist either. I'm a pundit, right? I'm not a journalist. Most of these guys out there who call themselves journalists are not journalists either. Jeff Snyder is a legit journalist. He's a true journalist. And, <clears throat> and, uh, yeah. So, uh, so there you go. Little thing about it. So yeah, I think at some point eventually I'll probably have him on. All right. Oh my God. It's that, I, I gotta, you know what guys, sorry, I gotta wrap it up. Ann and I have a seven o'clock screening of Dune. So I gotta go. Um, she's probably at home. John, you know how you're just saying on your show that you hate people being late? Where the fuck are you? Yeah, I can already hear that. Uh, I can hear that. The force. I can hear it through the force. She's speaking out through the force, yelling at me. So I didn't realize it was that late. I got to go, guys. So listen, thank you so much for joining me here today on this little uh, installment of Open Mic. Good to have you guys here. Don't forget, come back. Join me, Ray, Rob, Jonathan tomorrow. Apparently, we got some stuff to talk about, like Travis Knight directing a He-Man movie. Is that actually happening? Uh, we'll find out. All right. We'll talk to you later, guys. Thanks for joining me. I've had a great time tonight, guys. Thanks for hanging out with me tonight. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.